So what is the marketplace? So many of us may have a definition of what the marketplace is. So we, you will follow on the slides there as well. That's why you will see there's a difference. I'm a teacher, so I've got visual aids as well to help you with what I'm talking about. So we go to the market and we transact, and as you can see on the screen, you've got the POS machine with a card. So that is what we believe the marketplace is. And in the second picture that's coming up, we see what we probably will term a blue collar workers in the workplace. And those are the ones that do jobs like um, you know, your mechanics, they fix things, they're, they're construction workers. Those are the people that are also in the marketplace. That's part of what the marketplace is. So it's not only where we go buy vegetables and fruits. And then also, with the digital age, our marketplace is also online, where you order for delivery. Um, when I was residing in Rwanda, I could buy anything, including furniture, online. So that is part of what our marketplace is. And also, for those of us who sell, sell services ourselves to an employer, we are in the marketplace. So all these are just few examples that I'm sharing with you so that when we talk the marketplace, we are very clear that it's not only where we buy food or where we buy vegetables or, 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 or just a place where trade happens. It's outside of ourselves. All of us who are employed, we're in the marketplace. All of us that own businesses, we are in the marketplace. So with the next slide, we're looking at what is the definition of the marketplace. I went to the Oxford Dictionary to get the definition of a marketplace. So it says that it's an open space where market happens, is held, and the sales of products. So I've got Chimwemwe as a market, because that's the first market I went to when I came to Zambia. That is my experience of what market looks like in Zambia, especially in Kitwe. Then secondly, a world trade um, and commerce. So I spoke to those things of online, of where we sell our services to different people, either as business owners or employees. So if you know what your calling is, you will be very clear where in the marketplace are you placed? Are you called to business? Or are you called as an employee for you to sell your services? Now we'll unpack on this next week. So I will be very short-winded so that I'm invited back again. <laughs> now it starts somewhere. My foundation scripture that the Lord has given me to guide my life is Matthew 6:33. In the New King James Version, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's where we start. We seek God. There is nothing we can do outside of God. 
Now, if you look at the Strong's Concordance, and we look up the word first, and it's number 4413, the word proton comes in, the word chief, principle, and influence. So we can see how important something we put first is. It's chief, it's paramount. And it has influence. Now the second word the Lord led me to look at is added. And that Strong's 4369, it says to add or to join. So when we seek the Lord, everything, everything is added. So when your foundation is right, where you start is right, you will get everything else that you desire. I also like reading the Passion Translation, so let me share that one. It says, so above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, constantly. Then all these less important things, they're important, but not so much, will be given to you abundantly. So we, there is no lack. So how are you seeking? What are the different ways we can seek? It's through prayer. We ask God. We pray about what we need and what we desire. That is one of the ways you can seek. We look. We go around and look for opportunities. We look for people who can guide us. We look for people who can mentor us. We look for people who are doing it and are doing it well for us to emulate or to follow. Another way you can seek is through reading or being taught. It's almost like you have to go back to school when you now know what it is you want to do. You need to learn. So again, I looked at the word constantly in the Oxford Dictionary. It says continuous, persistent, never-ending, perpetual, eternal, and non-stop. So when you are constantly seeking God, it never stops. When he answers one prayer request, it doesn't mean that's the end of it. Because trust me, when that is answered, there's another one. When that is answered, there's another one. Even if you're praying for somebody, when that person gets blessed, there'll be someone else that the Lord will show you. If you are praying for an opportunity, when you get that one, the Lord will place another desire inside of you. So that is why constantly seeking for direction is important. So I'm going to have you speak back to me as well. I like having a participative audience. So we're going to do a confession because you know, it's good to have faith, but we need to speak our faith into action. We need to speak those things that we desire to happen. So I was taught confession is good. So let's confess together. Lord, may I constantly seek you according to Matthew 6.33. I need a little bit more energy. Or am I the one who doesn't have energy? Maybe let me up it a little bit. Lord, may I constantly, Lord, may I constantly 
Seek you. According to Matthew 6.33. Come on, let's praise God. Hallelujah. So we are to seek the Lord constantly. My next scripture is Genesis 2, 15 and 16. And this is where the Lord created Adam, placed him in the garden. And it reads, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. So what was God doing here? He was giving Adam work. How many of us believe that once I've prayed, I go sit down, chill. It's cool. Lord has heard me. And he says to you, stand up, go and see so and so. Oh, no, Lord, I prayed. I'm just waiting to hear from you. Thank you, Lord, that I've prayed. I'm waiting to hear from you. Get up, go meet so and so. Again, oh, Lord, I'm trusting you and I'm believing you for that thing I've prayed for. He asked Adam to work. So our faith demands work. Whatever we are trusting God for demands work. And that work may not always make sense. If I, I think if I was Adam, I would have asked, how many animals? How many trees? Where am I going to get the names from? Isn't that what we do? We pray. We trust God. We confess. And then we sit back and we say, yeah, but they're going to laugh at me they're going to think that is really, really stupid. So let's remember that. Adam had to name all the animals we know today by himself. But he wasn't really by himself. The Lord was with him, just like all of us. When he says, go do something, he has gone before you. So he knows what, where he's sending you to. So let us not refrain from work because either it looks too difficult for our own human minds or too stupid or too complicated or whatever tool you can put before the verb. I'm not going to be able to do this. That does not reside with us. And he said you may freely eat of anything in the garden. There's a but, we'll come to the but. But freely eat. So when you work, you eat freely. Yeah? When you work, you eat freely. It's there. You have prayed, you have asked, you've trusted, you've confessed. Now you put action. Then you have what you're asking for. So let us remember there is action. So here's our second confession. Lord, help me to find... My purpose, my purpose so that I can do the work, so you, the work. You, established you established for me before I was born. Do you all believe there's a plan and a purpose for your life? So if you believe there's a plan and a purpose for your life, you need to find it. You need to know it. You need to live in it so that the work you need to do 
does not look like work. Because you're already fulfilling what God has put for you to do. Which means what? Think. Whatever obstacle that is there is not an obstacle. You will easily go through. It will grow you. It will teach you new things. So only when you are within your purpose that freely eating is free. Amen. Amen. So how do you find out what your calling is? You pray. You seek. But also today we've got systems and processes that the Lord has revealed to his people. Pastor Cyrus did an amazing session on mentoring. Find yourself a mentor. There's something else also called coaching, which is slightly different, but has the same outcome. Find yourself a coach. We know about football coaches. They're business coaches. They're life coaches. They're marriage coaches. They're purpose coaches. These are the people who will help you find out what your purpose is. But there's something I need to say. Prayerfully. Prayerfully. Seek those people into your life. Prayerfully. Seek what your purpose is. And everything will be revealed. And it doesn't mean that now that you have a coach or a mentor, you no longer work. A coach stands in the sideline and says, go, 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 go. You hit the wall, you come back, you've got a bruise, you're like, no, that's it, I'm done. The coach says, you're going to go again. You hit that wall again, you come back, you're like, this is it, I'm done. The coach says, let's do it again. Because we serve a God that does it over and over and over again, no matter what it is that you hit. Our next scripture is Deuteronomy 8.18. This is such a beautiful scripture. He says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So I went back to the concordance because remember, sparked something. And it comes from the Hebrew word zakah, Strong's 2142. It is called to remembrance. So remembering doesn't happen passively. You have to call things to remembrance. So again, you see, we have to work. Call is an active word. So you will sit there and say, Lord, bring to my remembrance. Let's say, for example, you don't know what your purpose is or you've forgotten what your purpose is. You call all of that into remembrance. So it is a doing word. Call is an action word. And if you don't remind yourself, you won't remember and you won't be in your purpose and you won't work and you won't eat freely. So you see, it all unravels backwards if you're not moving forward. So you need to take action. And when the Lord gave the Israelites the scripture, he was laying down one of the most important ground rules. And because we forget this ground rule, most of us, even if we achieve success, 
It either unravels or it reaches a particular point and stagnates. We forget, we forget the Lord our God. And if you look at what we've got there as a first emblem of remembering, is we need to remember what the Lord sacrificed. And we do this with communion with God. So there, those are the communion, communion, communion emblems. But also remembering God is about remembering where he has brought you from. You know when you hit that wall and you've got a testimony somewhere at the back of the mind, you sit down and you pull that testimony. And you say, Lord, I remember when I was challenged this way, this is what you did. I know you're going to do it again. Trust me, when David had to encourage himself in the Lord, himself, Murado has to encourage herself 99.9% of the time. But what we do is we want someone else to do that 99.9% of the time. And we only want to do it 1% of the time. And that is why sometimes we stagnate. So let us encourage ourselves in the Lord and remember the Lord because we want that power to be able to get up when we have hit the wall. Sometimes we hit the wall so hard, we sit back. But that sitting back is not the end of the story. Let us allow ourselves to get up again. These are the ground rules he set for the Israelites and they still work for us today. When we remember the Lord, we remember the Lord, we remember to praise him. Pastor Chiwenda did a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful teaching last week about praising the Lord and worshiping him seven times. I was so challenged. I now have set timers throughout the day to remember to do that seven times. Seven times. And I find that no matter what I'm going through, just that act gives me energy, gives me power to stand up again. And God has made a covenant with our forefathers. He said he will give us what? Everywhere we step, it's ours. We possess. We are to take dominion, as he said in Genesis 2. That is his covenant with us. So if we don't bring to remembrance all these things, how are we going to remind him to say, but Lord, you said this. I'm saying this, but I know you said this. You said I'm above and not behind. Why am I behind? I'm reminding you. You said I'm above, not below, I mean. I'm ahead and not behind. So Lord, I bring to remembrance your promise because that's the covenant you made. And the power there, if we look at it in Strong's, it talks about the power of God. Strong's 3581. It talks about the power of God. So if we say Holy Spirit resides in us, he's one of the Trinity. Jesus resides in us. He's the second of the Trinity. Third one, God resides in us. So what do we have inside of us? God's power. So how can God's power fail? Has our God ever failed on, in anything? So why do we believe we are failures? It means we don't believe we have that power of God within us. So we have that power. Scripture says so. That is why we are encouraged to speak what Scripture says. So let's go to the bottom and do our confession again. 
So the next confession, it says, When I remember the Lord, my God, I gain power. I'm not hearing you. Let's start again. When I remember the Lord, my God, I gain power to make wealth. Hallelujah. So by bringing God to our remembrance, we remind him of the covenant he made with our forefathers. So how long has the marketplace existed? It has existed before we were born. But one of the places we can go to, and you can put everything on screen on that page, is if we look back, I said we'll come to the but. When God said to Adam, you can eat of everything except one. There are many, many interpretations of what that one can be. The enemy wanted us to believe that that one would mean we would be the same as God. But because Eve probably didn't have revelation of that, or maybe she had hit a wall and at that time she hadn't recovered, she felt that the enemy was right. But the enemy sold Eve something she already had. He sold something she already had. She was already like God. So when he came and he said, no, 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 no. He said, don't need this because you'll be like him. The simple answer would have been, I am already. So we are already. When the enemy comes and says, you're dumb. You, never, you won't amount to anything. But what did God say in scripture? You are the righteousness of Christ. Everything that Christ owns is. So you already have it. If he says you don't have that house you want, say, it's there. You don't have the finances to do one, two, three. It's there. You don't have the wisdom. It's there. That's your answer consistently. That is why Jesus answered, it is written. Because it is indeed written that we have it all. So we have it all. The other interpretation of that one thing, people say it was supposed to be tithe. Whatever it is, just remember. Don't let the enemy tell you that you are not. You are. The Bible never said you are not human. You are not intelligent. You don't have the wisdom. You are not beautiful enough. You are not handsome enough. You are not marriage material. You are not motherhood material. You are not fatherhood material. The Bible has never said anything like that. So anything that says you are not, you know it comes from the enemy. So we don't listen to it because Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger they do not listen to or do not hear. So in Genesis 3.23, this is after. Now, Adam and Eve have eaten the one tree they were not supposed to. So he banishes them out of Eden, and he sends them out. So it reads, therefore the Lord God sent him out, to the garden, out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And from this we see that they bear children, and they bear Cain and Abel. 
and different giftings come to light. So one was a farmer of crops, as you can see. The other one looked after animals. So already we see that the beginnings of a marketplace. Because if you have corn only, you want to cook in Shima, right? And you want to eat it with meat. So what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to exchange. So that is where we see marketplace coming to light. Very, very clearly. And I've added a third picture of people sitting around the table, and that is where you sell your services. You sell yourself as an employee. I remember I used to say I'm not a salesman. I'm not a salesperson. I don't know what sales is. Until the person who was teaching me sales said to me, have you ever gone for an interview? Yes, I have. What exactly do you think you're doing? You're selling yourself. So what's stopping you from selling in your business? When you want to make a new friend, what are you doing? <laughs> we are constant salespeople. When we're winning souls for the kingdom, what are we doing? We're selling Jesus. We're selling the kingdom. So we are all salespeople. I didn't put this confession down, but let's confess. That. I am the greatest salesperson there is. Hallelujah. Amen. The confession I heard there, let's do this one as well. It says, Lord, help me. Not to waste the skills and knowledge you have and will impart unto me all the days of my life for the glory of your name. Hallelujah. May we not waste what God has put inside of us. May we use it for his glory. All right. So I read a book that um, created something called the Marketplace Fellowship and Prayer Sessions for me. I'll talk about that another day. And it's written by Pastor Bill Winston. And it's called Faith and the Marketplace. So a lot of us know who Pastor Bill Winston is. We know how many things he owns. If, if you don't know, he's not only a pastor. He owns a mall. The church is within the mall. He's got so many things that are business related. He started the Joseph School of Business where he trains entrepreneurs to run their businesses according to godly principles. Now, I didn't know about the Joseph School of Business when the Lord started igniting in my heart to say we need to bring back business principles into the marketplace. We have left it far too long. And he, I was led to this book. And this book resonated to what the Lord was saying to me. So I'm going to share a few excerpts from there. Now, in this book, one of the first things Bill Wilson talks about is 
the Old Testament kings and priests. So we know that kings were called to lead their people into war, plunder, accumulate. You know, it seemed like that was a continuous cycle from when, way back when. Now, there were times the Lord would say, go conquer this nation, take everything they have. What was he doing? Providing for his people. But there were times he says, no, destroy everything. Now it's important for us to have that ear to understand whether to go or not to go. That is critical. And you will see what, how it is important. And there were times he would say, out of this, set this aside, it's for me. Out of this, set this aside, this is for my priests. So it's important that as you are going to hear. But how did these kings hear? They worked with priests. They worked with prophets. So you can see that these kings were landowners because everything belonged to the king. They administered trade and taxes. So they were the ones that controlled the marketplace. And they administered welfare because they're the ones who taught the principle of gleaning. So when you harvest, you leave things in the periphery. And what was he doing? Social welfare. For those that couldn't, they could come and glean. So we can see these principles come from way back when. When we look at the world do these things, we think they are so intelligent. They got it from the Bible. That's why you see so many companies give. And those that give, they prosper. It is a principle. Whether you're a believer or not, if you follow this principle, you will be protected. And that's why we'll sit back and we'll say, ah, that guy, I just saw him do one, and now he's still prospering. Lord, why? When you get it, it's yours and yours alone. Pocket, you know, you'll even hide. And you wonder why you're not prospering. Because you're not following the principles. And we see this principle is what led Ruth to Boaz or Boaz to Ruth, whichever way you want to look at it. It's the principle of gleaning. Because once Boaz saw Ruth, he said, leave a little bit more. And they were blessed. And that's where the genealogy starts of our Lord. The Old Testament priests were the 12 tribes of Israel. And they prayed. They did offering to God, maintenance of the church, and taking care of orphans. This is exactly what today's priests or pastors, that's what they do. So we see that these two roles worked well together because when a king went to war, he would say to the priest, go inquire of the Lord if I should go. Go inquire of the Lord if we will win. So these two offices worked together. And it was critical for prosperity. And if we look in the modern day, we see that in the modern day, it's pretty much the same. However, the modern day kings are those people who are called to the marketplace. These are your business owners. These are your employees. Those people trading are the ones 
that are called to continue to take dominion, subdue the earth. They are the landowners of today. So the same land ownership that God was giving to the kings is given to these people who are prepared and thinking about owning factors of production. They're not consuming only. They want to own and run factors of production. So they want to manufacture things for those who want to just consume. So which one are you? And the land ownership, we see it in Genesis 13, 15, Joshua 1, 3. The third one I picked out is Psalm 2, 8. It says, ask me to give you the nations and I will do. So the Lord is saying, ask, seek. And they shall become your legacy. Your domain will stretch till the ends of the earth. So our dominion has no limit, has no end. So when you start thinking of the marketplace, don't think of your own house only, or your own town only, or your own province only, or your own country only. You think global. We often laugh to people who say, I run a global enterprise. And we look at it as just a, what would you say, a car shop. Small thing. And you say, what global enterprise? But that person is speaking what the scripture said. Your domain will stretch to the ends of the earth. So let your mind stretch there as you are creating. You don't have to see it first that it's coming to fruition. No, see it in your mind and start going for it. That is how you get it. But because we do not fully understand our role, this is why we don't get there and stretch our domain. But also, this lack of understanding today of marketplace ministers has led to ministers operate, marketplace ministers operating in the church. So if you've got somebody who's on, constantly talking to you about fundraising, know that that person is in the wrong place. How much money can we make for the church? Can we do this so that the church has money? Can we, they are constantly pulling you to money. And you think, ah, this person loves money. Too much. You've got a gem in your hands. And you need to cultivate that desire that that person has. And we also have different people. I mean, if you've seen what the media department is doing lately at Bible, Victory Bible Church, Kitwe, how many of you actually do look at what's happening on that Facebook page? Are you not excited? I am. I know I haven't been in your space for long, but from the time I started watching on Facebook to today, it's chalk and cheese. And it is because somebody identified somebody's talent and allowed them to operate. That's why the Lord said we mustn't hide anything under the bushel. It doesn't serve anybody. But now if you look at what is happening, I'm getting excited to see where this is going. So let's allow people to play the roles that God has given them. And there's additional thing we need to do. So your modern day priests, as I said, similar to the olden day priests. 
But when I was reading this book, I realized there are gaps. There are gaps that's happening between modern day priests and modern day marketplace ministers. I'll call them that for lack of a better word. And it didn't start only today. We can see where this seed um, was planted. So there are two examples I will share here of misalignment. Um, if we look at where misalignment between the kings or the leaders of old and the prophets started, the first example I've got there is Samuel and Saul in 1 Samuel 13. Saul got impatient and believed that the man of God was delaying. Then he got out of his position and he did what was not, was not his responsibility. We know in 1 Samuel 13 that Saul went and sacrificed an offering to the Lord which was not his responsibility. It was, I mean, Saul sacrificed to the Lord instead of Samuel, instead of waiting. So impatience is one thing we need to be careful of. And what happened there? When Samuel came and found that done, he said, why did you do this wicked thing? And in trying to get Samuel to speak to the Lord to reverse whatever, the consequences of that action is Saul pulled his tunic and it was torn. And that's how Saul lost his place on the throne. May we not do that. May we fully understand what our role is. And that is why it's important to start with purpose. Then the second example is Deborah. Prophetess Deborah said, go. Who was he speaking to? Barak, go. I will give, the Lord said he will give Caesarea to you. And Barak said, yeah, well, you see, probably was doing something like this. Yeah, well, lack of confidence. Uh, you see, only if you come with me. The Lord has already said, I will give you that business. I will give you that ministry. I will give you that job. But you believe you need a connection to get the job. You need somebody to facilitate something for you to start a business. You need somebody to usher you somewhere into your own ministry. But God has said, it is yours. Go and get it. And when we do that, it's very easy for God to choose another. One of the amazing testimonies I had during Bible college is, is one of the pastors who had a calling to go start a ministry in Cape Town, Dr. Ellen Beck. And he said one day he asked God, God, how would you do that? How Ellen Beck like this? He said, Ellen, wake up. If you don't do it, I'll choose someone else. Yes, he's given you the gift, but God has choice. He wants you. That's his choice. But if you don't say yes, he will choose another. As we see in this example, the prophetess said, okay, I'll go with you. 
But just know that victory is not going to come through you because you didn't believe. So that's where we see the disjuncture between leaders and men of God. There was not very clear listening and communication and understanding. That's where it started. Now, the other one is misalignment around the scripture. 1 Timothy 4.10. How does it read? Money is the root of all evil. Am I correct? It properly reads the love of money. Growing up, this is the first scripture I discovered that many, many did not communicate correctly. And that is where it also led, as I shared previously, minister of, ministers of the marketplace end up just trying to fit in the ministry. Where they're supposed to be volunteering, they're thinking that's where they're supposed to be eating from. If they had the support, encouragement, and the prop up, they would go eat where they're supposed to eat and come and feed in the flock. They would bring what they accumulate outside to the kingdom. So in modern day, for me, that's what I saw was one of the scriptures that was so badly communicated. And this led to many ministers of, of, of the marketplace being sidelined, being put aside. And if you ever showed any understanding or desire of money, you were evil because you were money-driven and money-hungry. We will see just now what that has done to the kingdom of God. So if we look at the impact of what the misalignment did, how many of you, um, if you can get that up for me, the next slide. You see, what with that, not interpreting it correctly, we have created two worlds. We have created the kingdom world, and we have created Caesar's things. We call them Caesar's things very quickly. So we say God's things are worship, faith, and church. But politics, government, etc., business, finance, those are Caesar's things. So if I'm truly a Christian, if I am truly a Christian, I focus only on God's things. Where are you going to get the tithe? So that there's food in the storehouse. I am seriously running out of time. <laughs> I didn't think I will go this far. All right. So we are sitting here unable to do what God has called us to do. Because we have these two worlds. But if you could see the next um, slide, the next picture in that slide, you would see that there's a circle and within the circle, so the bigger circle is God's things. Within God's things are Caesar's things. Because after all, for Caesar to get that, he got it from where? 
who created everything. So how can we have Caesar's things standing on the other side? Since when did Caesar create anything? Caesar never created anything. So how can there be anything that belongs to Caesar? So the challenges for ministers, pastors, cultivate marketplace ministers. Marketplace ministers submit to your pastor. Receive guidance, receive protection, what we call covering. Covering is not a swear word. It's not a swear word. We are all covered today to be decent. Your business needs covering. Why do you think the others go wherever they go to get the covering? You believe the others don't have covering? As believers, where do we get our covering? The Lord has put ministers in our lives as authority. That's why it is important to know where you are planted. Because if you are planted wrong, you won't get the right nutrients from the ground. So if you are planted right, your pastor is your covering. And you need that for the marketplace. So how do we remedy this separation? This is how we do it. What I've just explained is again coming together. Marketplace ministers together with the pastors. And we say, how do we bring back God's economy? There is nothing we can do as a church if we don't have the finances to do it. There are many of us who stand up, and I see this in social, on social media so much. Pastors shouldn't get paid. How, really? Why should I be giving my money to this man? You are not, you are giving it to God. Freely give, freely you shall give. Oh no. Yes. Inspiration. But for that pastor to travel and go minister to a widow, it costs money. And because we are not owning factors of production, we are not bringing in the revenue, that is why we find it impossible to give. You cannot give what you don't have. We need to have in order to give. And in order to have, we need to own factors of production. I think COVID-19 has taught us as believers a very good lesson if we choose to learn it. Forget the lockdowns, forget about wearing masks. But one of the most important things it showed us is that we don't own anything. We don't have control of our lives. We don't have control of our ministries. We are controlled. And yet, Lord said, you have dominion. Subdue. What happened? We stopped at being fruitful. 
And fruitful in one way, because when we own things, we are being fruitful with the gifts that the Lord gives us. It's not a procreation, uh, what do I call it? It's not a procreation verse only. It's not about physically giving birth. It's about giving birth to businesses, giving birth to ministries, giving birth to all these things that the Lord said are ours. This is how we destroy this misalignment between what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God, because Caesar got it from God. Let's bring the circles together. The bigger circle is God's things. Caesar's things are inside. Let us come together today and say that's it. In our lives, we know where we are planted. We know where we are going to bear fruit. We know that the Lord gave us everything. And it's not unholy to want a business. It's not unholy to want to prosper. Because prosperity speaks about physical health, emotional health, financial health. God never said prosperity is everything but money. If we believe that we are going to be walking in heaven on the streets of gold, isn't this our heaven right now, before we go there? Why would you say we must take dominion here if we were not supposed to take dominion? That scripture is not for that heaven. It's for this one that he gave to us. So unfortunately, some of us are focused on, on the sweet by and by. And we are forgetting we have to live right now. And we have to live as kings right now. And I pray that you are encouraged to go out there and take hold of your dreams. And build on your dreams. And look at your life and your presence in this ministry. Because all of us are part of the ministry. It's not up to the fivefold only. We each have gifts. That's what they mean when they said, your gift shall make room for you. When I said, Lord, me, I, wa I was Moses. At that moment, when pastor was talking to me, I was Moses in my head. I said, I start a Lord. Who am I going to go with, Lord? And I also went to Gideon. I'm the least of my tribe. I've just been here how many months? And Lord, pastor wants me to be up front in the court. How? He said, your gift has made room for you. How many of us are sitting with gifts that the ministry can use? Bring your gift forth so that it can make room for you. And you can sit with kings. With that, thank you very much for giving me
being with me on this journey as I prepared for the messages, even last week's message. And again, Pastor, thank you for sharing your pulpit with me. I will repeat, I do not take this lightly. It's actually a very scary and honorable place to be at. <laughs> so, today we are going to continue talking about the marketplace. And today we're going to talk about practicing faith in the marketplace. Before we start, let's look at somebody who really practiced faith in order to get what God had promised him. And the Lord led me to the story of Caleb. And we start in Numbers. Um, I won't read everything. I'll paraphrase. I hope today the projector is behaving and we'll be able to see the scriptures up there as well. Um, and all the things are prepared. So the Lord had led the children of Israel through a journey to go to Canaan. And we start in Numbers 13, um, where now the 10 spies were sent out to spy the land. And we know there was a division right there because 10 of them were scared of what they saw in the promised land. And they gave a very bad report of saying, no, we cannot, we cannot take that place. So Numbers 13, I'll read verse 30. It says there, after the bad report, so Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. So we know two of the ten, which was Caleb and Joshua, were the only ones who believed they could take Canaan. The rest of the people believed that they couldn't. But you see Caleb trying to convince his mates. We read again in verse 33, they said, There we saw giants, the descendants of Anak, and they came from giants, and were like, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So how many of you believe that the way you see yourself is the way everybody will see you? So the giants didn't see the children of Israel as grasshoppers. The children of Israel saw themselves as grasshoppers. And therefore, they were grasshoppers in front of the giants. So it's important how you see yourself. You will see how this ties in with faith in the marketplace. So they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And that created a problem for the Lord. When we move to Numbers 14, we see there that the Lord was very upset. And he decides, okay, I'm done with you. I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to give you sicknesses. I am no longer interested in anything you have to say to me. But Moses interceded on behalf of the children of Israel. So you remember, as I spoke last week, kings and priests work together. So the kings were no longer hearing what God was saying. So the priest interceded on behalf of kings to say, Lord, spare them 
What will pe people say when you have wiped out your children? You took them out of Egypt and now you wipe them out. Forgive them. And this is where we get the scripture we quote often, where the Lord said, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. God never said what I heard somebody else say. So let us confess. Confess this to make sure we speak what we want God to do to us. I declare from this moment on, I will only speak what I want to see over my life. Hallelujah. Amen. And we see that after this, only Joshua, Caleb, and all those that were under 20 saw the promised land because of their faith. Do you believe you need to practice faith to see what you desire? Amen. And even during this time, it's not like they practice faith and the next day they jumped into their promised land. So whatever it is you're trusting God for and you said yes, you may not jump in immediately. So what do you need to practice? Faith while you wait. And we only see the promise coming to pass in Joshua 14. So this is when Moses had already been taken by the Lord and Joshua was now leading the children of Israel. So in Joshua 14, Caleb goes to Joshua and reminds him. Say, remind. You will need to remind the Lord what his promises to you. When you see Terry, remind the Lord. Not that he has forgotten. Do you know why we need to remind him? So that we also remember. So we also hold on. So jo Joshua went to Caleb and reminded him that when Moses was still alive, he was promised his mountain. And he was there to collect. So you need to remind yourself. And as you are speaking and you are reminding, remember we looked at the word remember last week. Bring to remembrance. It's more for you than it is for God. Because sometimes we forget when we hit challenges. Sometimes when our promises tarry, we forget. So we need to bring to remembrance. And again in Joshua 14, I will read verse 12. And then I'll read again verse 14 and 15. So Joshua went and said, Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakians were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. So Joshua never doubted what the Lord said about him. He never saw himself as a grasshopper. I tend to think at that moment he actually thought the giants were grasshoppers to him because he knew who was with him. He knew who was with him. So in 14 he said, 
it reads, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, the Kenazite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. This is generational wealth that Caleb created for his kind by wholly following the Lord. I want you to keep that word, wholly followed the Lord, in, my, in mind. And the name of Hebron before was Kijathaba, which Arba was a great man amongst the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. Because he trusted, he rested from war. Now he got to enjoy the spoils of what the Lord had promised him. Now you'll say, what does that have to do with the marketplace? As I was preparing, the Lord led me to the teachings on the seven mountains or the seven spheres of influence. So my question is, do you know what your mountain is? Do you know what your sphere of influence is? So when we look at the teaching of the seven mountains, what has been, is being taught, and it led me to a number of people who are speaking on the seven spheres of influence. And this is how life is being determined for all of us today. Whoever sits on top of that mountain influences everybody, controls everything, determines what happens in that mountain. And can I say, we are not there as believers. We are not yet there. So let's share the first mountain. It's family. Solid homes, solid communities, solid churches, solid government, solid country, solid continent, and a solid world. Do you think we need to be controlling that mountain? Or do you need, think we need to have an influence on family? What are we seeing as the fabric of society today? Where does it start? In the home. So we need to get there. I'll move through these ones quickly. But family, I needed to mention. Government, politics, and governance. How many of you still believe that Christians shouldn't be in government and shouldn't be in politics? Are you even brave enough to say you still believe that? Who's making the laws of the country? Religion. How many religions are there in the world? Many. Christianity? Do you think it's in the majority? Nope. It's not. But we are sitting pretty. We won't even witness. So who's controlling religion? Education. This is where mindsets are created and changed. So who's teaching our children? Seven, eight hours a day. What are they feeding them? Arts and entertainment. You switch on any form of tool that creates, that's art and entertainment focused. Who's there? Are we there? Media. Forms of communication. Do we even feature? 
And lastly, economy and business and finance. Now, as you can see, it covers all the other spheres. What does that mean? That is the one controlling all the other six spheres. Where are we? Can we be counted? And that is where the marketplace comes in. So if we recap quickly, yesterday, we, I mean, last Sunday, we closed off with a misalignment where as believers, we believed there's God's things and there's Caesar's things. I wanted you to see that picture last week. That is where the church has been for many, many years, for decades. That's why we are not influencing those seven spheres. And we thought we were even influencing religion, and we are not. So the correct way of looking at it is what you see on the screen there. What Caesar got, he got from God. That's what I wanted to share last week. So that is our course correction. So let's look at this mountain of economy, business of finance. This is where the marketplace is for us. And it's not the only one, but that is the one that influences everything else. There's a saying that says, he who pays the piper, plays the pipe. So if you're not paying the piper, how can you play the pipe? To run a government, you need money. To share the gospel, you need money. To feed your family, you need money. To send your kids to school, you need money. And we have made money. Such a swear word in the church, co church corridors. Because we, don't, we did not understand what influence it has. And I'm not saying every single one of us right now has to run out of here and go in pursuit of money only. Let's remember this. The grounding scripture is Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these less important things will be added unto you. But they're still important. So what lessons can we learn from Caleb? There are five things I'd like to share from the story of Caleb that will help us practice faith in the marketplace. Because today we are talking about practicing faith in the marketplace. And the first thing is, Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Wholly. Not 95%, not 90%, not 80%. 100% he had faith in God. That is why even when the promise took 40 years to happen, he still held on to that promise. For him, when he saw that opportunity that that promise is about to happen, he went to Joshua and said, let me remind you what Moses said 40 years ago. So for some of you, it may be 40 years ago that the Lord spoke to you about your mountain or what your purpose is or where you need to serve in the marketplace. It's time to remember, it's time to remind the Lord that God, you once put that thing inside of me. I'm ready now. Forgive me, I'm ready. I'm ready to go there now. So that's the first lesson. 
And we can stand on James 4, 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We like reading the last part. Resist the devil and he will flee. I'd like you to place emphasis on the first part. Submit to God. Submit to God. The second scripture that we can stand on is, therefore, it's 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that, may he, that he may exalt you in due time. We need to be under God's guidance, under God's direction, under God's word, under God's will, and he will exalt us to our marketplaces and give us influence that we need to have. So what is the first thing that we need to practice? We need to wholly follow the Lord. So let us confess. Father, I decree that I will follow you and you only all the rest of my life. Hallelujah. The second thing is to have faith in God. So Caleb had faith. He held on. He held on to his promise for 40 years. He knew he wanted to create a legacy for his family. And his legacy was Hebrew. Whatever your purpose is in the marketplace, that's your family legacy. Be aware that what you're doing, you're not doing it momentarily. It's for generations to come. So what legacy are you leaving behind? Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It is impossible for us to make God happy without faith. How else are we going to achieve all these things that seem near impossible? These were real giants. But in order for Caleb to believe that he can take them, his faith had to be bigger than what the giants were. His faith in God and what God said had to be bigger than what the giants were. That was the only way he would conquer. So your faith and my faith, I'm also speaking to myself, by the way. Your faith and my faith needs to be bigger than whatever stumbling block you can start bringing up about you stepping into your rightful purpose. Our faith needs to be bigger. That's the only way we will please God. The second scripture is Hebrew 10.38. It says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I don't want God not to ever find pleasure in me. It would devastate me if God has no pleasure in me. Because when he created me, he said, I'm good, good, good. He found pleasure in his creation. So why should I grieve him? So 
What kind of faith do you have? Do you have unwavering faith? Do you have bold faith? Or do you have whimpering and fading faith? It's a choice. No one can take faith away from you. You give it to them. You give that up. That's why God give us, gave us free will. So let us confess together. Lord, I declare that I'm coming after my purpose. I'm coming after my influence with bold faith, with unwavering faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the third thing is for us to trust in God. If he said you are above and not beneath, why should you believe anything else? If he said you are ahead and not behind, why should you believe anything else? Caleb trusted God that when God said you can take these giants, he indeed could take the giants. And we can stand on Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. The second scripture there is John 14, 1. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. This was Jesus talking to them. And believe in John 14 is a synonym for trust. So synonyms are words that are similar to others. So you can use another word in place of it. So in John 14, they used believe, but it still means trust. We need to have that trust that we can do it. No matter when your voice is quivering, you cannot do it. You, can wait. you say, I can do it. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Do you remember what happened the last time? No, I don't. You refuse to remember your past failures. You refuse to remember your past stumbling blocks. Remember that interview you went to the chest you they said you were, you were not even articulate. No, I don't remember. That was yesterday. That was last year. That was two years ago. That was even last minute. Because the past is exactly that. It's the... So what do we do? We move. Amen. We do not remember the past failures. It doesn't matter that even in the job you are currently in, you made a mistake yesterday. You are still going to make mistakes. That's why grace is there. Without mistakes, we don't grow. So some of us are stuck where we are because we made a mistake. And a mistake is exactly that. It's a mistake. It's a misstep. And Jesus is there saying, come on, get up. Get up. I didn't stay in the grave three days. I got up. Even though I didn't make mistakes, I went down three days, but I got up. And when he got up, what did he say? Lift up your heads, all you gates. The king of glory is entering in. 
Do you think he went, uh, I think maybe you should probably, I was hoping, was he talking like that? Hey, get out of my way. And home would say, Suga. Get out of my way. You're a mistake. Get out of my way. That's still my purpose. That's still what God said I will do. It doesn't matter. But they're laughing at you. Let them laugh. He who laughs last laughs the loudest. I'm going forward. So let's confess. I trust in the Lord. And I don't look back. I look forward to my promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Number four, God has given you a vision. You have a vision. If you don't have it, pray, meditate, ask. But let me ask you this. Do any of you dream? There are different ways of dreaming. You can dream while you are sleeping. You can dream while you are awake. Why are those pictures that flow through your mind when you look at your life and what you want it to be? That's a dream. Your vision is in there. And we, we spoke about Habakkuk. I can't remember if we read it, but let's read Habakkuk 2.2 today. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. How are you going to run when you have made things clear for yourself? That act of writing it out. I always tell people I prefer to type it out. Okay, type it out, be like, type it out. But have it somewhere. Document it. But by typing it out, I mean I will cut pictures and I will create a vision board. Create a vision board for every single thing you want to see in your life. Do you know what pictures do? They're quicker than words. You look at it and you go, there you go. That's what I'm standing for. So one day we'll talk about vision boards. Create a vision for yourself. If you're a word person, perfect, use words. If you're a picture person, perfect, use pictures. If you like objects, have something somewhere that reminds you of why you are here. Once you know why you are here, have something that reminds you. This is what I'm here for. This is what I'm chasing. This is why I get up. This is why I worship. This is why I'm serving God. This is why I'm here. Remind yourself. Revelations 21.5 says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new, he said. He said to me, Write for these words are true and faithful. How can words be true and faithful? Words are inanimate objects. It means they don't move. They stand there. They, they say the same thing. If you look at the word faithful today, it is the word faithful tomorrow. It is the word faithful. 
day after tomorrow. It was the word faithful yesterday. What does that sound like? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's why you can trust the words that God speak to you. So you need to write them down. So that when you are struggling to remember, because you have hit that wall, you know when you hit a wall and you hit it with your head, your head kind of goes into pause mode. So you will need those notes to remind you. Pull them out. Read them. Go back to them. When times are tough, go back to your vision. Look at what you wrote down. Encourage yourself. Stand up. Because you cannot run when you don't understand. You cannot run when you don't have encouragement. You cannot run when you don't have a reminder. We need to run. The time is now. We need to run with whatever God has put in our hearts. I attended a conference where the lady was teaching about when we are born, we all come in with clenched fists. And she said, have you ever wondered why? And she said, the Lord revealed to her that he has put everything we need in here. And hence, when we are in the world, we need to live with open hands. There is somebody who will only go to heaven because you witness to them. There's a child that will only go to school because you paid their school fees. There's somebody who will start a business only because you either partnered with them or you encouraged them. There's somebody waiting for that gift that even today, some of us are living with them like this. God never intended for us to come back with what he gave us. We need to empty ourselves. That's why Jesus died. We are seeds to be planted. There's a lady I know. We started calling her the seed lady. She sees seeds everywhere. Did you see Pastor Cyrus's message as well during the week about seeds? You and I are seeds. We came here to die so that we can multiply. For as long as we live, we will not multiply. Your fruit needs to pop out, get ripe, and somebody needs to open it and eat it and replant that seed. But if you are not being planted and bearing fruits, no one is going to enjoy of what God gave you. How are you going to hear, welcome, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest? When you are still alive, we are seeds. Let's remember that. So let us confess. Lord, make my vision clear. And I commit to write it down. And never lose sight of it. Until it's fulfilled. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Miles Monroe likes saying the richest place is where? Why? Because we are going back there with everything that God gave us. When you don't start the business that God asked you to start, you're taking it back there. 
When you don't take that job opportunity that God asked you to take, you're taking that back there. When you don't join government as God asked you to join government, you're taking it back there. How many people could you have impacted positively with what God gave to you? You're taking it back there. All the riches, all the joy, all the smiles, you're taking them back by not living your purpose. So find out what your purpose is. Find your rightful place in the marketplace. Because you don't want to go back with what God gave you. That was not the intention. But also, you're not the only one that has it. And if we want God to be pleased with us, we want to do what he's asked us to do. I definitely want God to be pleased with me. Who doesn't want God to be pleased with them? So let us do what God called us to do, no matter how scary it is. As I shared with Pastor, the moment he said to me, um, I would like you to share, I was like, say what? Immediately a voice came up and said, you, your ink is not even dry in Zambia. Where your name is written, your ink is not even dry. How? In what world do you ever think you can stand up there? And it's happening in a split second while I'm still looking at Pastor Cyrus thinking, yo. But I had to quickly say, Lord, you prepared me for a time such as this. I don't know what you want me to say, but I know you will bring it. So I was like, oh, great. I exactly know what to share. <laughs> That's exactly what I said right there. I know what to say. I had no idea. But because I wrote my vision down, when the Lord said to me, speak to people about the marketplace. I want my economy to be reestablished in this world. He gave me mentors and coaches that taught me on God's economy. He gave me mentors and coaches that taught me on four streams of income. He gave me an opportunity to be a managing director of two companies, which I managed for the last three years. I have worked in, for over 25 years in corporate and public sector in quite senior positions. That was my training ground. I didn't understand I didn't understand my change in career from one career to the next. I'm a trained auditor. I did risk management, governance, strategy, innovation, entrepreneurship development. People who look at my CV say, okay, what, what is it you haven't done? Let, let's just start there. I did corporate affairs. I did not understand my desire and my request. And some of these roles, I would go and say, I'm bored. What else can I do? They're like, but you have three audits going. I said, yes, I know I can do them in my sleep. Give me something else. I haven't done. I did not understand why I was like that. I did not understand why I was restless. 
Even today, I cannot do one thing. You, you really are going to drive me crazy if you expect me to focus on one thing. I, can, I don't have the capacity. I usually have three or, four, three or four pots boiling at any given time in things that I do. But that is my training ground so that when somebody makes a request of me, I know. But it's not because of my wisdom. Most of the time when I'm doing that, I am scared. I'm sweating. I'm like, what if this fails? And some do fail. But I've had to get up and go. Next. I don't even pretend to have it all together or have it all figured out. I don't. Because I don't know what God's going to bring tomorrow. But I always remember the scripture that it is for my good, not for my harm. Even when it's painful going through there and I feel like I have been squeezed to my last. Jeremiah 29, 11. For he knows the place. To do you good and not harm. Let's trust God and have faith. The fifth thing that Caleb practiced was he kept knocking. He kept knocking. How many of us give up after one or two knocks? You go to the first interview, they say no. Your confidence goes down. You don't have an opportunity to pick it up. You try the first business, it fails. Your confidence is knocked. You don't have the courage to try again. Somebody says no to you. Your confidence is knocked. You don't try again. You write that test at school. You get a mark you didn't expect. And you know mom and dad are going to flip, as we say. Your confidence is knocked. And the next test you probably don't even have the courage to go sit and prepare for. I'm here to encourage you. Knock again. Stand up again. Try again. Because that is life. It doesn't change. Those that are older than you will tell you. That is the pattern of life. You will win some. You will lose some. But don't let your losses overshadow your wins. Focus on the wins and remind your losses that you're an overcomer. Right? So Exodus 3.22 tells us, now here, the children of Israel were getting ready to leave Egypt. And if you remember the scenario that was happening then, it did not even look like they would leave because Pharaoh would say, go, come back. Go, no, don't go. And they had been punished even severely for wanting to go. So in Exodus 3.22, they were told to go and ask for jewels and everything. So it says, but every woman shall ask of a neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing that you shall put them on your sons and your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Plunder. 
You understand what plunder means? It means take everything, destroy them, leave them with nothing. What did Jesus do in the grave? He plundered. He plundered death. He walloped, as we would say. He walloped death. And he took the keys of the kingdom. And he said, there you go. There you go. Did we catch them? Are we catching them? So the Israelites were promised that they would plunder their neighbors. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. Ask, seek, knock. That's what you do with your life, your purpose, your mountain. You ask God, what is my purpose? What is my mountain? Where is my sphere of influence? When he says education, you seek, you go find information about your sphere of influence, your purpose, your marketplace position. Do the research. Understand, if you're still at school, ask God, when I finish, where do you want me? Get information, get understanding. Speak to somebody in that career path. Get to know what it takes to get there and stay there and flourish there because that's the whole point. Use influence to get there. Use your knowledge to stay there and flourish. So let us confess, Lord, may I never give up. I commit to keep knocking until the doors open. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may actually need a, 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 do you know what a battering ram is? Have you ever seen when the police come and there's three or four of them carrying something and they go back and they come running? That's what you may need. You may need to get a battering ram for, for yourself. Now, what is your battering ram? It's the word of God. Your battering ram is praise and worship. The battering ram is prayer. You take whatever it is, because the Lord says our weapons of warfare are not, but they are. Amen. So when you are claiming your mountain, you need to have battering rams, because sometimes this knock means nothing. The music is too loud in there. The person occupying that space is not going to vacate it for you. You need a battering ram. You need to catch their attention. You need to say, now, here, I'm there. I'm claiming it. And you can stand on Ephesians 6, 12 and 1 Corinthians 10. Because we know we've got weapons. God has given us weapons. You go for it. You fight for what God has given you. They will not see you coming because you are not fighting in the canal. When God says fight, some of us think we need to put gloves on and we go, no, 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 no. Hannah, for me, is an amazing woman. When she was praying, she was not making a sound. But she changed the situation. 
Her voice was not heard. That's why it was thought she was drunk or something. Her weapon was not carnal, but it was mighty to bring down a stronghold of barrenness. Barrenness fell without a sound. She didn't make a sound. So it's not always shouting the loudest, but it's being persistent and claiming rightfully what is yours. We need to seek God and seek our purpose prayerfully. That is why Philippians 4, 6 says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. We are not to be anxious for anything, but prayerfully speak to God. Prayerfully speak to ourselves. Sometimes we do need to pray loud so that we can hear what we are saying. Remember again, it's about bringing ourselves to remembrance as well, about what God has promised us. Bring our minds into understanding and remembering what God has promised us. So as we prayerfully fight for our marketplace position, we will gain the rewards. The second scripture is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. It says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You have prayed, you've asked, you've bettered, you've rammed, you've done it all. You know you've asked. You know you've made it clear. You've written your vision down. And you start thanking God. Thank you, Father, that you're putting me in my rightful place. Thank you, Father, that position is mine. I receive it. Thank you, Father, that my business has started and it's prospering. Thank you, Father, for the lives that I'm touching as I educate. Thank you, Father, that my family is solid in the word. Thank you, Father, for that position in government. Thank you, Father, for that desire you've put in me to be in media and entertainment. I embrace it, Lord, and I'm going to bring programming that will give you honor and glory. You start thanking him because these are the places we need to overtake. Now, many will tell you this is heresy teaching. As I was doing my study and my research, I came across a lot of things. Even in church, we are divided whether we should be having that influence. It's okay if you believe you need to remain at the bottom of the mountain. But don't hold back that person that says, I want to climb up. Because that is what God put in them. So if you are meant to be at the bottom of the mountain, there's nothing wrong with that. That's where God has spoken to you about it. But let us not be a divided church that says, no, because God said I must stay here, it means this is where we stay. All of us know. We all have different callings. We all have different spheres of influence at different levels. Let us be those that say, I have been called to stay at level one. What can I do for you to get to level two? Level two people, you say, I am at level two. What can I do for you to get to level three? 
and so on. We were watching a networking session for a group of, 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 of uh, incoming CEOs last week. And the gentleman doing the presentation gave an example of how influence will get you through the door, but knowledge will keep you there. Don't be afraid to use your influence for others. Done right, influence is very beneficial. Yes, there are those who have used it wrongly. But if you are using your influence in a right way, God will prosper you. We came with gifts for others to benefit from. So if you cannot do the job, we say in South Africa, puff and pass. I know it's not a very good example, but just pass it on. Pass it on. I know so-and-so who will be very great at that. I was once asked, you know how rich you would be if you, did, if you charged everybody you did that for? But sometimes for me, it's not about that. I derive pleasure in seeing those people succeed in whatever I've given them to do because I knew I wouldn't be able to do it. We will thrive. We need to live in our raw. That was something that the Lord spoke to me about and said, Mraro, are you living in your raw? We all have a raw inside of us. Didn't we say we are what? Lions of the tribe of Judah? When was the last time you roared? Do you roar or do you whimper? When they see you, do they see a lion? Or do they see a sheep? And there's nothing wrong with a sheep. But at that moment when you need to be a lion, are you a lion? And what is your roar? Do you know what your roar is? That is that sound that is unique to you. That is that personality trait that is unique to you. That is that voice that is unique to you. That is that knowledge that is unique to you. Do you know what it is? Because that is where all of this starts. You need to live in your raw if you're going to claim your mountain of influence. I hope you were encouraged. And I want to thank you once more for giving me your ears. May the Lord bless you as you go seeking. Go and find your purpose and your role will come. Go and find your sphere of influence and your role will come. Hallelujah. Amen.